Yeah, that's right. I'm doing double duty today. So uh, if you want to go ahead and sneak out the back door, you can. It's all right. Um, but we are in the second week of our DNA series today. DNA meaning the building blocks of life, right? So when we think about the building blocks of the Christian life, what are the things that are the building blocks of what it means to follow Jesus? And last week, Derek talked about spending time in personal relationship with God, your God time, and how that's a foundational building block of what it means to follow Christ. This week, we're talking about our gather time. So what we're doing right now. Why is this an important building block of who we are as followers of Christ? Um, our abiding relationship with God, that's your God time, spills into your connection relationships with others, and it overflows into your outward relationships with those that don't know God. So these three things work together. They're all related. You see it played out on our wall over here, the up, in, and out, the three key relationships of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I think we understand that all relationships take an investment of time to develop and grow. You can't have a relationship that you don't invest time into. So when we talk about gathering time, it's really cool because I think the gather time hits all three of these key relationships. And I want to make something real clear right up front that this gathering is not a have to for a Christian. It's not something you do to... Make God think well of you. This is not a checkbox that you check off. Okay, I did my Christian thing for the week. There's something much deeper about the importance of the gathering time. It's why it's been practiced for over 2,000 years. It's not something we just invented recently. Okay, so this has been going on for a long time, and we want to talk about why that's important. Because of what God has done in me... I am invited to gather together with other believers in worship so that I can deepen my love relationship with God. That's the up. Jesus is the essence of transformation. I can grow in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the in. Community is a context for transformation. And to be encouraged to share the difference that he has made in my life with those that don't know him, to serve and to share uh, in the community. I don't know about you, but my kids went through the stage where they started asking why. Do you remember that? They started asking why. And I had four kids, so I had four why stages. And by the time I got to the fourth one, I really didn't have much patience for it. You know, they start asking why, and it's like this never-ending thing, and you give them the answer, and then they say why again, and then it's the, you give them that answer, and they say why again. And so there's just no satisfying. So eventually I would just get fed up, and as it got to be, you know, the, the fourth kid, I got fed up a lot quicker. But eventually I get fed up and I just say, stop asking me that. <laughs> right? There's the, I can't possibly end this conversation. Well, if you invited someone to church this week, you said, hey, come to Common Ground with me. We meet on Sunday at 9 o'clock and I'd love for you to come. What if they said, Why? How would you answer? What if they had that two-year-old response? Why? Why do you do that? Why do you go spend time at that place with those other people and sit there and listen to a guy tell you some talk? Why do you do that? Well, I think, unfortunately, that would kind of be one of those stumpers, kind of like that last question that finally fed me up with the kid asking why. It would be, stop asking me that. I don't know. 
for a lot of us, we don't know how to answer that question. We have no idea why we gather other than that's what Christians do or that's what I grew up doing or I really like the preacher sometimes or the music every now and then they play the song I like or I like to see my friends. You know, that's where my, the people I kind of know, they, they get together and that's my kind of one touch point with them. The trouble is if we don't know why we're here, then we can't possibly experience what we're really here to experience. If you have the wrong motivation behind why you come, then it's going to be a lot harder for God to break through that wall and for you to experience exactly what he's called you here to experience. So why do we gather? We're going to answer the why question, uh, and it's not going to be annoying, I hope, right? <laughs> We're going to answer that why question. First and foremost, we gather because God is worthy of our worship. It starts there. It can't be about anything to do with us. It starts with who God is and what he's done. So we're going to start in Psalm 95. Uh, if you want to flip there, you can. I'm going to read the first seven verses of Psalm 95. If you don't know how to find that, it's kind of like right in the middle. On my Bible, it's page 388, but that doesn't help you. All right, so it's right in the middle, Psalm 95, talking about the greatness of God. And it says this. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. See, we didn't invent that. It's not a new thing. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. Now, one of the values we have at Common Ground is it's not about me. We want, we want each person to understand that this journey that we have with Jesus, it, it's not just about us. It's not about our preferences and our wants. And your understanding of our gathering, of why we get together and do this once a week, is one of those areas where that perspective can kind of show itself to be true or not true in your life. Because the primary reason we gather has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. Nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. The almighty creator of the universe, the God who saves and forgives, is worthy of us gathering to proclaim his glory. Now, when you look in the first couple of verses in Psalm 95, it gives us some of the what. Let us come, let us sing, let us shout with praise, let us make a joyful noise. Some of the what's of worship. But verse 3, he switches into the why. And that's the question we're looking at right now, the why of worship. First of all, he says, he's great. God is great. He's far above all others. He is holy, worthy, set apart. He is all-powerful. He is our creator. He is our caretaker. He's our guide. God is worthy of our worship. Now, you've heard this from Derek before, but I think it's a good reminder to help us kind of understand and keep this perspective. Because we're a lot of times we're deceived into thinking that this is the audience at church. This is the audience. The people on stage are the worshipers or the worship team. And God is prompting the people on stage with what they should do in worship to connect with the audience. That's kind of how we view it a lot of times, or a lot of people think about it that way. But that's not right. Actually, 
You are the worshipers. The people on stage are the ones that are prompting. Uh, They're reminding you who God is, what he's done. They're leading you to sing truths about him. They're uh, preaching to you truths about him, challenging you in your understanding of a passage. And who is God? God is the audience. So we do all of this in order to do it for God because he is great. So worship isn't primarily about us. It's about God and he alone is worthy. So in this psalm, I think we see three uh, key characteristics of worship. When it's properly focused on God, these are things that are going to be true. And the first one is, it is joyful. Now, I have the privilege of being on stage every week and looking at your faces. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) why did you start laughing? (laughs) That wasn't supposed to be a joke. Uh, yeah, so I see your face, and uh, we talked this week about one particular song, and we were going we to shorten it and not sing it quite as long as we usually do, because I said, I saw on people's faces they had song fatigue. I can see it on your face. You know, we start to sing that next chorus, and you go, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, but uh, so I, I, I see the signals. Don't start giving me more signals now. But, um, so it, is, it should be joyful. When we come together to worship God, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. A true understanding of who God is and what he has done through Jesus brings a joy that cannot be explained. It goes against circumstances. It goes against struggles you may be having. There's a joy that only he can bring. And any gathering where God's worth and truth are being proclaimed should be characterized by that inner joy that comes from the understanding of what he's rescued us from. He's rescued us from sin and death and separation from him. And what he invites us to experience is a relationship with him. His very, uh, his very essence, his self, his presence. We have a relationship with him because of what Jesus has done for us. So anytime we get together to talk about that and sing about that, there's a joy that's present. Secondly, it is active. It's active. Worship is not an event you attend. It's not a destination. It's not a segment of the church service. Like I've heard people say, well, we had the worship, then we had the preaching, and then at our church we have a little more worship at the end. No, that's not how that works. It's not a segment of the service. Worship is not a noun at all. Worship is a verb. It's an activity that you participate in. You are the worshiper, remember, and God is the audience. Now, there's another psalm I want to read to you. It's going to be on the screen. I think. Is it in there, Brian? Oh, yeah, there it is. Psalm 150. It's a pretty short one, and I want to read this one all the way through to you. It's the very last psalm in the book of Psalms. So this is like the closer for the entire book, the entire collection. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. I like this one. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Have you ever thought, the music's just a little too loud? You know, we can't be too loud for God when we're praising Him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, does that sound passive? Does that sound like something you sit in your chair and fold your arms and say, all right, bless me? (laughs) 
Have you ever seen those people? You know, I, uh, I worked in churches in the deep south. And so I, there, there's, a, there's a different level of like church tradition and they've just done it their whole life. And a lot of times they do have that attitude. They have the attitude, all right, you're the new worship guy. Bless me. Let me see what you got. And so it's constantly an evaluation of what's happening versus entering in to who God is and what he's done. It's an active response because of, because of God, and it's for everyone. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want you to feel like, okay, well, if I don't get active and crazy, then I'm not worshiping. No, that's not the point at all. We do not all need to look the same or do the same things when we worship. There's not like the perfect worshiper chapter in the Bible that tells us, okay, if you're really worshiping, this is what you're going to do. God has created us. He says this over and over throughout Scripture. He's created us individually with different, uh, different design. And our hope at Common Ground is that you feel the freedom to express worship to Him, to praise Him in this place in an authentic, active, joyful way. What that means to you, what God, what God connects with in you. So if that means raising your hand, then that's incredible. That's a sign of surrender. You know, you, you, we've talked about this before, but if you went by a, uh, a convenience store and everybody in the convenience store had their hands up, right, they'd be surrendering to somebody, <laughs> right? So when we raise our hands, we surrender to who God is and, and his movement in our life. Uh, it's possible that you might want to kneel or you might want to pray or that's why we do a lot of different things, to give you an opportunity to express worship in the way that God has designed you. So we don't all have to look the same and do the same things to be worshipers. But it is active. It's something you enter into. All right? Third thing, it is inclusive. It's inclusive. So back to Psalm 95, you notice the pronouns that he uses there. He says, let us. Six times in these seven verses, it refers to us or we. And Psalm 150 said, everything that has breath. So worship is inclusive. It's for everyone. Now, this is a little scary, too, because when you have an us, what do you also have? A them. That's right. There's an implied them in these statements. Um, those that belong to God and are worshiping him and connecting with him and those that don't those that aren't. And here's a hard question that we might need to wrestle with if you have issues entering into worship. If you, if you have trouble giving God glory and honor for who he is and what he's done, you need to ask yourself the possibility that you haven't truly surrendered to him, that there's not a relationship, that you don't have that connection because sin is still reigning in your life because you have not allowed Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and to ask him for that forgiveness to allow that connection to God to, be, to take place. So are you in us? Then let us. Let us worship together. And if you're a them, then maybe God's prompting you today to talk to someone about what it means to truly surrender to him and follow him. So we worship because God is worthy. But there's a second aspect to this, and I think this one might surprise you. I know it surprised me a little bit. The second reason why we worship is because we have a responsibility for the spiritual well-being of others in God's family. We have a responsibility for the spiritual well-being of others in God's family. Now, Derek talked to me a few weeks ago about, about teaching today. 
and he told me it was about the gather time. And I, I said, right off the bat, well, I'm not going to use Hebrews 10. I don't want to use Hebrews 10. That's what everybody does, <laughs> right? And the more I studied it and the more I talked about it, I mean, or looked into it, the more obvious it became that this passage is used a lot because it has a lot to say about gathering, some very important aspects of why we gather. So I want to read these two verses from Hebrews chapter 10, <laughs> the, the passage I wasn't going to use, uh, but God had a different idea. Verses 24 and 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. It's on the screen too. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. These verses talk about meeting, gathering together in the context of what we do for one another. So you mean I don't come to church for what I get? I don't come to church for what I receive? It's not primarily about me and how I feel when I leave. We get so consumed with ourselves, our situation, our perspective. But gathering is about God first, because he is worthy. Secondly, about how God wants to use you or use me in the lives of others. So when our gathering priorities get lined up in that order, guess what happens? We receive. From him. But we don't come in looking for what we're going to receive. We come in because God is worthy, and we come in looking to how we can bless someone else. And then we receive. That's, that's how God's economy works. So worship is about offering ourselves to God and to one another. Romans 12.1 calls it a living sacrifice. It's your reasonable act of worship. You lay everything about yourself down, and you make it about him and others. It's not about sitting back, like we talked about already, and waiting to be blessed. Bless me. Show me something. Right? It's about, it's active. And these verses start, let us consider. And I love this word, consider. It's an active, it's a strong word. Consider here means to put effort into thinking and strategizing about. Let us put effort into thinking and strategizing about. It's active, it's inclusive once again. And he says to put effort into thinking and strategizing about two things. First of all, how to stir up one another to love and good deeds and good works. Stir up one another, right? It's not a passive word. It means to stimulate, to motivate, to inspire. So we are to consider to put effort into thinking and strategizing about how to inspire one another to love and good works. We need to know one another. We need to care for one another enough to look for ways to inspire greater devotion to Jesus in each other's lives. It's part of why we gather. It's why sitting on a mountaintop and playing your guitar and singing is not the same. There's something different that God does when he draws his people together. Um, and you know what? You are uniquely created and designed to serve and love someone that God brings to common ground better than anyone else. God has you here because of what you can do in the life of someone else. It's not about you. Uh, I saw a video this a uh, couple of weeks ago. I talked about it at our small group. But a, a pastor stood up in front of his congregation and he said, 
I want to tell you, I want to encourage you today to understand that God doesn't pick what he didn't plant. And when I heard that, I kind of went, that's a little, that sounds a little weird. God doesn't pick what he didn't plant. But what he's talking about is that God planted in you unique things that he wants to use to grow fruit in someone else that he can pick. And so often we're worried about what we're not, right? What we can't do, how we wish we could be someone else, how I wish I was more like that or I had that opportunity. But God said, no, I planted something unique in you and it's designed to connect to someone else to grow fruit in their life, to stir them up toward good deeds so that then that fruit can be planted, can be picked. So be you. Be who God created you to be and connect and think about ways that you can serve and, and help others in their journey with him. Now, this might sting a little bit. I'm going to apologize up front. But you can't get here late and leave early and live this out. You can't stand in the corner waiting for others to inspire you and leave angry because your needs weren't met. Both of those approaches say one thing. It's all about me. Right? So we need to begin to change that perspective and remember there's a reason we gather and it's not just about me. We're to put effort into thinking and strategizing about how we can be used by God to inspire someone else. It's part of why we gather. The second thing we're to apply this thinking to is to encourage one another. How to encourage one another. To think and strategize about how you can encourage someone. Now, the Greek word for encouraging is a form of the exact same word that's used for the Holy Spirit. So encouraging here is parakaleo, and the Holy Spirit is paraklete. So you see they're like the same word. Um, it literally means to come alongside and part of how God uses us to inspire one another is when we reflect the Holy Spirit by encouraging one another, by coming alongside one another, when we allow him to use us to invite others to come along and experience who God is and what he's done. Now, our worship team has a goal that we talk about often. Um, not every week, but we remind ourselves fairly often of this goal. Our desire is to go to God and invite others to come along. So we, we say this phrase, we can't lead anyone to a place that we haven't been ourselves. So our desire is to authentically connect with God and invite others to come along. It's the same idea of this encouragement in this passage. We aren't performing for your entertainment or enjoyment. We are worshiping God for who he is and what he's done and inviting you to do the same. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to put effort into thinking and strategizing about how we can encourage or come along someone, come alongside someone when we gather. So how, what are some ways you could do that? Again, we, we make things too hard, I think. A simple greeting can go a long way. Someone walks in the door, you know their name, you smile at them and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Offering to pray with them. If you know there's something going on in their life. Again, we know each other enough to know when someone maybe has something going on, offering to pray with them. A big way this happens is what happens next door. People that are gifted and God has planted in them to serve kids. What an incredible opportunity to come alongside and stir someone up toward good deeds, toward understanding who God is and what he's done. Maybe it's a simple touch during a response time. Maybe you're standing behind someone as you're waiting for communion and you can tell they're dealing with God and you just put your hand on them as if to say, 
I'm, I'm here. I encourage you. I support you. I'm praying for you. Or possibly what you experience in this gathering leads you to take some kind of action outside of a Sunday. Well, that'd be crazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you like actually pray for someone and, and check on them during the week to see how that's going. Um, whatever it is, it's active, and it's about serving someone else, not ourselves. So this gathering that we have is first and foremost about God, and secondly, about how we can be used by Him in the lives of others. Now, this may seem a little out of order, but I want to stay in Hebrews 10, that passage I wasn't going to use. Um, and I'm going to actually use more of it now. Uh, I want us to back up a few verses and talk about the what of gathering. What is the goal? What should we expect? And again, back in Hebrews 10, but this time we're going to start with verse 19. And we're going to put these verses that we read before into a little more context in the passage. So verses 19 through 25 this time. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now this writer is addressing a primarily Jewish audience that has just started following uh, Jesus. They've just started um, what we would call being a Christian. They're followers of Jesus that are coming out of this Jewish background. So they're traditional practicers of the sacrificial system. They would not have direct access to the presence of God. They, would, they didn't have that in their life. They didn't understand that. Now they do, and that's what the writer's saying. Because of what Jesus did, he has opened a way for you. That access to God in their tradition was reserved for the high priest in the Holy of Holies and only once a year. And I think you've, we've said this before, but they would actually tie a rope around his foot in case he died in God's presence, no one else could go in there and get him. They had to drag him out by the rope. Okay, so one person, one day a year, got to go in there. Now, Jesus came, and at his death, that curtain tore from top to bottom. And he said, now you have access to the presence of God all the time. Um, Jesus changed everything. He brought a new and living way the writer says, to know and relate to God. The blood of Jesus brings forgiveness because Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice. He abolished the need for that sacrificial system of the Jews. He opened the curtain, meaning any who surrender to Jesus as Lord not only find forgiveness, but that direct access to God's presence. Um, and the great high priest is Jesus, through whom we can draw near to God with confidence. We no longer need any other mediator because his death burial, and resurrection purifies us as his followers and allows us that direct, direct access to his presence. What's he describing here? He's describing the privilege we have when we gather for worship. We have the opportunity to be directly in God's presence, to have access to God through Jesus Christ, to be forgiven and to come to God in confidence. Um, and it's not because of anything to do with ourselves. We enter with confidence because of who he is and what he's done. How many times am I going to say that today? That's what the gathering's all about. This privilege we have 
of worship. So what should we expect when, when we gather for worship? First and foremost, to experience God's presence. We should expect that. That's one of the reasons we, he designed this to happen, so we could experience him. It's our prayer week after week that the manifest presence of God would be experienced in our gatherings. That means God making himself known in our midst in a way that is seen, evident, and undeniable. In other words, God doing what only God can do. We don't ever want to just do church. We don't want to just have a good service. We never want to gather if God's not going to show up. It's about him and for him. Moses said in Exodus 33, 15, it's one of my uh, favorite little moments in the life of Moses. He's faced with the prospect of going forward, leading the people, and God says, because of what they've done, I'm not going to go. You can go, you can have them, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. So he'd rather stay in the misery that they had in Egypt and be with God than to go forward to the promised land without him. He didn't want to go anywhere without God going with him. And that's the same way we feel about our gatherings. We want to be here because we think God wants to show up and does show up. And there's a unique way that God manifests his presence when his people gather together. We don't come out, I said this right at the first, we don't come out of obligation to be a good Christian. We come to experience the unique power of the presence of God that inhabits the praise of his gathered people. Every time we gather, it should be with this expectation, with an anticipation of what God's going to do among us, an expectation and anticipation of his presence. And you're here because you don't want to miss it, right? That's why we gather. That's why we come, to see what God might want to do in us and through us to, in others. Now, I've had several life-altering moments where I felt like God sent me one way or another or helped me with a decision. I, I talked about one the last time I preached when I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord. So I, I realized this week as I was putting this together, those moments that I would write in a chart as the life-altering moments all happened at a worship gathering. They all happened when God's people came together and God's presence showed up in a mighty way. One of them was when God directed me away from student ministry, which I had done for 13 years and really enjoyed um, and felt like God was using me greatly in that capacity. And he directed me away from that and directed me toward music. They're having a good time, see? <laughs> you might want to be over there. Um, he directed me away from student ministry toward music. I was at a music conference. I was the student pastor. I led the student choir. If you can believe it or not, I did this thing every, every week, trying to get kids to sing. And um, I went with the music leader because he wanted me to get better at doing this and getting the kids to sing and also find some new music. And so we're there together on the very first night. We're at the worship gathering. All the people from that conference are there. They're all music people. So you can imagine it was some pretty awesome harmonies all around me. And I just sat and listened. And I, I heard God say to me, you're supposed to be doing this. And it altered the course of my life because of what God's presence said to me in that moment. Something unique happens 
when God's people gather for worship. And again, this isn't something we invented. This isn't a recent American tradition. Jesus himself, it says in Scripture, went to the synagogue to open the, the Scripture and read and pray as was his custom. So this wasn't like a one-off thing he did every now and then. As was his custom. He did it regularly. He understood the importance of gathering. And there's some really cool things we're invited to when we come together and worship. We're invited to hear God together through his word. We're invited to hear God together through his word. And that doesn't just happen right now when, during the preaching. We're singing scripture. We're singing truth. We're singing things that God has revealed to us when we're uh, having those moments of, of singing and instrumental music. We have moments of prayer where the truth of God is expressed to him. There's lots of times where God's word is a part of what we're doing here, and we're invited to hear God together through his word. We're also invited to talk with God because God wants us to experience him. He doesn't want us just to hear about him. He wants us to experience him. So we breathe in the truths of God through scripture and through singing, but we also breathe out as we express things to him, as we pray, um, as we sing songs to him, not just about him. It's our opportunity to breathe out and sing and, and talk to him. God wants us to experience and relate to him, and we're also invited to respond to God. So we're invited to hear God through his word, to talk to God, and, in, and we're invited to respond. Again, this is active it involves remembering what Christ has done through communion, something we're going to do today. Remembering that his broken body and his blood is what makes possible us experiencing his presence in the way that we do in our gatherings. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do it often to be reminded, to never forget the importance of our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. It involves maybe kneeling in submission to who God is. It involves praying with someone, maybe writing out a request and putting it in the prayer wall so that someone can uh, share that uh, burden with you as they pray. It involves expressing feelings and experiences that we know to be true. We know to be true through our singing. So that's when we sing about our experience of God. So the invitation to gather and experience God's presence it is an invitation to all those things. Hearing God, talking to God, and responding to God. And it all happens in his presence. So I said this at the beginning, but I want to remind you of this progression. Because of what God has done in me, I am invited to gather together with other believers in worship so that I can deepen my re love relationship with God, grow in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, and be encouraged to share the difference that he has made in my life with those that don't know him. The gathering is not a have to for you. You don't have to come, but it's an opportunity to experience God's manifest presence in a unique way and then to put effort into thinking about how you can inspire and encourage others to take next steps in their spiritual journey. If you're going to grow in your relationship with God and if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, then part of our DNA is going to be investing time gathering in worship with God's people. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you for today. I thank you that this gathering is not 
just some invention church people made up. <laughs> this gathering is so much more than a simple time to get together. God, you do something powerful in this place week after week. You show up and lives are changed. And God, I pray that our understanding of what it means to worship you would just continue to grow. That as we connect with you, as we connect with one another, we can be more and more of what you've called us to be, both as individuals and as a church. And God, as we worship you in these next few moments, by singing, by taking communion, I just pray that our hearts would be completely yours, that we would be focused on you and you alone. Let this be an opportunity for us to breathe out and breathe in and experience you and respond to you. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.